This is the Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dollishall. Thanks for joining me for season S22. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Catherine Hubbard from Mass Communication and Dr. Rebecca Garcia from the Department of Math and Statistics. Both of these guests earned and engage learning fellowship through the Engaging Classrooms program. This fellowship allows faculty members to spend two years focusing on a deep innovation of a particular course. For more information about this fellowship, visit shsu.edu slash QEP. Our first interview in this episode is with Katherine Hubbard. On this episode of Engaging Podcast, we have Katherine Hubbard as our guest. Thank you, Katherine, for joining us. Glad to be here. So I gave you a list of questions, but before I ask you those questions, tell us a little bit about your discipline and what you study. So I am in the mass communications department and I primarily teach uh, public relations and then some advertising courses. Okay, great. What does active learning mean to you? That's a good question. Uh, Active learning, um, I don't know if I know the actual definition, but for me, it is getting students engaged in their own learning and getting students to, I guess, take some ownership over their learning. I think that's probably not too far off from the definition we use, you know, in PACE, but so what, tell me how you do active learning. Uh, by trying a lot of different things. Um, One of the things that I'm a big supporter of is project-based learning, especially in public relations and advertising. It's really easy to do projects that mimic those real world scenarios. So uh, getting my students to work with actual clients in the community, usually local nonprofits, and working through learning the steps of uh, like the strategic communication plan with that focus on public relations for my principles of public relations course or on the social media component if I'm teaching social media and teaching them at the same time that they're doing and doing it for an actual client so they have something to show at the end and students tend to do better when it's for a real client as opposed to just doing it the work for me. And that's one way. Uh, Another thing that I do is uh, discussions in class. I have students create their own discussion questions and submit them anonymously. And then I pull kind of the the ones that are really focused on what I want them to dig more into for our discussion day and just having them share ideas, uh, leading those discussions and letting the students do most of that talking and letting them kind of like think through some of the problems or other thoughts that come up and sharing those different opinions. I can see, I mean, if I were a student in your class and I wrote a good discussion question and you picked it, I would be like, oh, she picked mine. Um, do you do you notice that with your students or uh, I feel like actually I can never really tell because they're submitted anonymously who's submitted them but I do think them knowing like I'm looking at these and pulling them for our discussion again helps them feel like they have ownership in their learning 
So why do you do active learning? Because it's good for the students. Uh, I could have them read a book, take an exam, and they're going to forget it two minutes later. What I want is that when my students leave with a degree, I hope that they are competent in the, so for public relations, writing for our discipline, creative problem solving, being able to find information, credible information to help with the creative problem solving and being able to work in teams. I think that's probably relevant to a lot of disciplines when you think about it. But active learning helps towards building those skills because the project-based learning is done in teams and that it's a real world scenario. They really have to think through that and the discussions help that too because there's not always a right answer. There's a, what can we, what can we feasibly do for a client and what's the best answer that we can come up with with what we know right now. How, how have your students responded to this? Better than expected. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've read places that if you say, you know, I'm going to do a flipped classroom, students get have a lot of pushback towards that. And I've never said that's what we're going to do. But sometimes the discussions maybe turn to online videos that they have to watch. And then I do a mid-semester evaluation, um, usually about week five or six, so not halfway through, pretty early on after we've covered most of what we might do in the class. And I give students the options. You want to do more in-class project time, uh, more in-class discussions, you want lectures, more in class, more online. And overall, they pick, let's do lectures online and let's use class time for working on our projects and uh, doing the discussions. So that real active part of it, they're picking themselves. And again, it's, they're having agency in how the class is created and what they're getting out of it. And I think that's really important for student buy-in but also just all of the literature says that that's helps students learn the material that you're giving them when it's active learning. So I think that's really important. Right. Yeah. I, do you notice, this is something I've been noticing and thinking about a difference in that for your students now versus your students two years ago, you know, before we all weren't allowed to talk to each other. <laughs> Do you think they're different now than they were then? I, you know, I don't think so. I think I hear people and I hear colleagues from different universities or different places talk about uh, how much the students have changed and from like when we were students. And I, I don't know if they've changed so much as I try to give them a lot of agency over what they're doing in my class and a lot of choice and how things are going. And I treat them like professionals kind of with a, you know, there's, they need to show up to class and they know that, but also like if you're sick, if something comes up, if family emergency, like communicate that like you would in a professional setting and working through cl client based projects 
letting them know that like I'm the manager and anything you'd create as a entry level position would go through the manager before it goes to a client. And the manager is always there to like help bounce ideas off of and help expand on things that you're thinking and using me as that resource to be a collaborative part of these projects. And I think that part of that's to get them ready for the professional world and being treated like those professionals are going to become. But I think at the same time, when they get treated like that, they do step up and do amazing things from when I see them doing these things and come up with great ideas. And I think a lot of times they're just used to sitting back and coasting because they can just read the book, take the exam, get through things. But when asked to step up and be an active part of their learning, they do take a lot of ownership over that. And that's, I think, what I see the difference in. But I don't think I've seen a whole lot of difference from the social distancing and other things that have taken place. Mm. I think maybe that's sort of a science-y thing. Like mm. <laughs> scientists didn't want to talk to each other before <laughs> and now they're okay with it. it. This public relations class in particular, is it an upper division class or, you're, or is it a lower or it might be both like one, one of each kind of situation? It's a, it's a 3000 level, which I guess is not a lower level um, course, but it is principles of public relations. And a lot of them come in and on the first day I ask them to write for five minutes on what they you know about public relations. And a lot of them know almost nothing, or if they do know anything, it's just crisis communication. <laughs> so, I think I'd be in that group. <laughs> so it's really interesting to see that writing. And then to see how their opinions of it are growing along the way. So it's not entry level, but it's also kind of the first time that they've experienced a lot of these concepts. It sounds really fun. <laughs> I want to come. I say this to like, I say this to all the podcast guests. I'm always like, oh, can I take your class? <laughs> But I mean, not that you're not special, you're very special. <laughs> um, so can you say a little more about like a specific thing that they've done um, it, in the project-based learning? What, what kind of things are you having them do? Ooh, so it is a semester long uh, project for them on Teams. And it is working through the, an entire strategic communication plan, essentially. But that means learning like what's uh, a situation analysis. How do we analyze where they're at now? Um, they also have to learn about uh, target publics, target audiences. And we learn about those. And then we talk about, well, we're working with this client this semester. What, let's narrow down what your group's target audience is. And we talk about goals and objectives for what the client needs, and then the strategies and tactics of how to make those things come to life. And, you know, budget, a lot of times it's nonprofit, so they don't have a budget, but we do talk about budget and you can suggest small things like maybe a couple hundred dollars. If they really like the idea, they might be able to come up with that. So thinking beyond just what the client gives us and how can we maybe give a little bit more and then how can the client evaluate at the, that at the end and hopefully 
because there's multiple teams working on the same client. So hopefully when the client gets all of those pieces, the client also gets uh, some good ideas that they can move forward with. Oh, that's neat. So are the students kind of, you know, are they doing different pieces of a whole sort of public relations campaign or is it um, they're competing for (laughs) the best one? I, it's, I don't use the word competition just because I personally am not a competitive person. And the first time I hear like, this is a competition, whoever is the best gets the A. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not trying. Just give me the C and move on. So I don't, I don't do that. But each team, because right this semester I have four teams. So each team is working for the same client. They're, each team is doing a full uh, communication plan. And right now when I'm talking to them, it sounds like one's going to focus more on social media. Somebody else is going to focus more on uh, giving suggestions for how to redesign the website and how to write for the website to make it cleaner for the audience that they're trying to attract. So each team will be bringing something different and I'm hopefully they're different enough that the client could actually use all of it. Uh, for the different pieces that they talked about and their different needs. Okay. That, that sounds like a lot, a lot more kind of collaborative environment, right? (laughs) I'm also not a competitive person. I don't, (laughs) when people want to compete with me, I'm always like, no, you just (laughs) not competing, just go away. So yeah, I think that to me, that sounds like a kind of happy, you know, everybody's sort of working together. This is how I want things to be. <laughs> okay. Um, well, but, I mean, these are all really neat things that um, I feel like, you know, someone listening could get really good ideas from this, um, even in, you know, some other discipline. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add yeah, I, another thing that I started doing, I threw out exams in my courses. Uh, for the record, the first time somebody said this to me, I was like, no, they have to take exams. <laughs> uh, and then a year, it was a good year later when I finally was like, eh, maybe I don't need to get exams. <laughs> um, and so I got rid of the exams, but it's like, how do you make sure students are reading and doing the work and And what I've done is, again, with this giving students the responsibility for their learning is that they do journaling assignments at the end of the week over that week's uh, course, course readings. And I always talk to the students like this is journals are meant for you to reflect. They're not worth a whole lot of points. And I give them examples of like a good journal journal article or a good journal writing reflection journal and then a needs and improvement one i never say it's bad like this needs improvement (laughs) um and let them see that and so even though this is worth like a small amount of points each week they write quite a bit because i've let them know like when you read the stuff and then kind of i give them prompts and they answer through the prompts and put their ideas out there like thinking through what you've just read and kind of putting it to your own words and your own experiences and things you've seen, 
is part of the learning process. So when you do this, you're helping to like learn this information that you're going to use later when you go into the career of public relations. And this is another one of those things that students, for the most part, love doing these journals. And they talk about how much it's helped them learn. And I was able to get rid of exams. And now I get to read these nice, like, weekly reflections of what it is that they're learning. And it's a lot more delightful to read as a faculty member. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) And And I don't have to do details of it. Like, it's not nitpicking it apart it's you know did you read it did you think about it did you get stuff out of it so read it give them their points and move on and I think that's reduced a lot of the stress on me as a faculty member for how to I guess how to make sure that they're doing the readings because it really is important to part of their learning process so again it's getting them to buy into their learning I, I love that idea because like, I am inherently bad at being judgmental. <laughs> it sounds like you are too. <laughs> and so like <laughs> the like testing and giving people grades, I like, if I could just talk to people about calculus and never have to give them a grade, that's what I would do. <laughs> so this sounds wonderful. And I'm going to have to figure out how to do that in a calculus class. Yeah. I don't know how to do that for calculus, but <laughs> I'll think about it. (laughs) These are all really, really neat ideas. And um, I'm sure that our guests will love to love to implement them and then come talk to me about them. (laughs) I'll just spur more and more podcast guests off of this great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I thank you so much for spending your time with me. Of course. The next guest on the Engaging Podcast is Dr. Rebecca Garcia. One of our guests on this episode is Dr. Rebecca Garcia. Um, Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we start on the questions that I promised you, let me ask you uh, to tell me a little bit about your discipline and what you study. Okay. Um, let's see. So I'm in mathematics in the department of mathematics and statistics. And so in terms of what I study, I'm thinking you mean research wise. And, um, so I, I'm definitely in the, I'm under the umbrella of algebra. Um, that's commutative algebra. And then very specifically, uh, computational commutative algebra. So I, I kind of, I've learned a lot of tools in that area and I've applied it in other umbrellas in mathematics like combinatorics. And so, um, and so I've been kind of down that road mainly. Um, and then I've branched out since my formal training in that area, I've branched out since to, um, I guess topics, other topics in combinatorics and, um, and uh, I guess algebra slash algebra that have it's it's um, that has like its presence in other areas, but like worked on things called sample groups. Spent a lot of time um, working with students on that, and 
doing some research with colleagues here on that. And then um, more recently, I've had the pleasure and honor of working with you, Dr. Dolishal and Dr. Oh. Kozik, um, <laughs> on some new, new kind of area to us for sure uh, on algebraic generalized splines. Yes, that's where we're going. And so, um, yeah, that's what we're doing now. That's where my focus is. Oh yeah, and then I've done work in park, like parking functions, which is very combinatorial. Uh, so yeah, that's what I do. Research-wise. I will say for our guests that you are overall awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My, uh, my speaker just did a thing. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. My computer like shifted my speaker anyway. Okay. So on to the teaching part, what is active learning to you? Well, active learning is definitely uh, the focus is on the students doing active work in the classroom, being active in the classroom um, and taking and, and using um, like their, I guess just working on stuff actively in the classroom and that would help them really grasp the material. That's how I I see it. Um, I feel like there's no other way to learn mathematics, in my opinion. Um, You can read whatever you want, but if you're not doing anything, you are not learning. And so, especially in this discipline, I feel like it is it is in, of utmost importance that uh, students engage in active learning, and usually we do that. Like traditionally, that was like go home and do your homework. Um, but I find that, especially nowadays, it's just very difficult to, with all the things going on, to ha- to have um, the expectation that students will go and do that and then come back in and be have it all done. <laughs> so I, th- I feel like giving them that opportunity in the classroom um, gives them a leg up and really helps them to um, like get things going so that when they do go home and when they get a chance to reflect on what they've done, it's not just this uh, like empty place. Like they have some, some where to begin because they've started stuff. They've They've discussed it. They were part of it. And it's just definitely more in their brain than it was, than it would be if it was just me up on the board blabbing away. (laughs) So how do you do active learning in your classrooms? Well, um, so the way that I, um, so it's kind of, I guess it's a variation on what people call a flipped classroom. Um, And so there's a lot, there is a lot of stuff they do at home and it's just basically readying their brain to come in and do some work. And, but it's, I would say it's kind of low level work. So they, they will, I have um, a carefully selected book that I would ask them to read certain sections on and take notes. So they do have to actively like write stuff down. And I think even, even if you're at your lowest level and just copying stuff down, stuff gets in your brain. And Mm -hmm. I, 
so they come in having had taken the notes and are ready to essentially engage in some worksheet type thing or a, a specifically like grouped set of problems with their group. And so when they, so they'll come into class and essentially the way that it's been, is worked out and passes, you know, I'd have them, I just group them randomly at first. Um, although I do do a little bit of um, like of my research on the students beforehand. So I know who's in chemistry or who's in, you know, and that sort of thing. And I have students kind of slightly grouped up um, eventually a little bit to, to help foster that community. But what ends up happening is they come in, they'll get in their groups and they get to the board. So to me, um, I find that is like a very important aspect of the active part is they actually get off their booty, get to the board. And uh, so it becomes a place for all the members of the group. I find that when they're sitting on their seats, um, there's less interaction for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but, but when they're up on the board, you have no place to just be idle. <laughs> uh, so they're up at the board and I have them all work the same problems as groups, not like one group works on one and the other one works on another. Everyone works through the whole entire sheet together up on the board. And I, I just walk through the the interactions and just list, you know, like listen in. Um, and if there's questions, I, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll usually answer a question with a question, but um, I tend to uh, like give them a, a little hint yeah. uh, as they go on, but they work things out and they teach one another how to do stuff. Um, after the, after they work through the worksheet, there is homework. And so, they tend to stay up on the board and work on the homework problems um, if they're done. And there's a, at the end of the class period, there's time for um, a little bit of time for a kind of a summarization of the things that we've seen. And then I always um, try to do a very active type of quiz. So it's sort of give them to take an assessment of how things went. Um, and it's usually like one problem I get the students to work on it. Um, they'll have, you know, five minutes or so to do it. And, and then right afterwards, I would have them put their like pencils away or something like that and pass up markers and get them to, and discuss the actual solutions. And as they're hearing the solutions, they are taking notes on their quiz with these markers to, and to help like guide their work. So they kind of also actively learn how to, how to, um, I don't wanna say grade their work, but see where they go wrong and kind of correct that along the way. So, and that's kind of how we end each class. Instant feedback there. Instant feedback, but their own. And so <laughs> then I collect these and yeah. And it's just really interesting to see um, how they, <laughs> how they've, commented on their own work um, but yeah you, <laughs> they're much harsher on themselves I just want to put that, put that out there they need to be kinder to themselves but yes I have that experience with my students too 
So when you give them these problems, are they, do you give them beforehand or? The worksheet problems or the, yes. Uh, so some of them at first, when I was first getting this going, um, it was part of, um, so the, the book I used was, is this, um, is, is from the OpenStax collection of mathematics books and, or textbooks. And so within a lot of these books, they have these things called checkpoints. So at the time there was those things that I would use or um, so early on, that's, that's what I would do, um, checkpoints. Or, and then there's another calculus online textbook that's also freely available called Active Calculus. And they also had their own version of checkpoints and um, they were little, uh, they were, they were less, um, uh, mechanical, you know, and it definitely required the students to think more about the, what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and those tend to be a little more difficult for students. They didn't know how to answer the question. And so those, those became interesting conversations, but, um, I've since, I've since, um, kind of developed a a few of my own questions. So, but I found that um, if I gave it to them beforehand, there would be the handful of students who would do all of it. And that wasn't the point. <laughs> I felt like it wasn't the point, you know, like I want them to work on it together and teach one another. So then I had to kind of do my own. Yeah. So it used to be the case where it was beforehand, but nowadays it's definitely you are going to um, do this when you get here. <laughs> I guess that there's kind of like arguments for either way, depending on what your priorities are. But also I think another reason to do it, like you get it when you get here is for a testing situation, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. they're used to receiving these problems at the beginning of a class period and being done with them by the, the end of a class period. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Theoretically. <laughs> yeah. And I also like that idea because, um, yeah, when you, when you are, it, it does help in terms of prepping them to try and once they get something new, like on an, a test or whatever, like it does help them sort of get that prep in their brain, like how to, how to start something when you see it. And I feel like that's a good thing to do, to do for them. I, so I have been in your classroom one time. I I subbed for you and it was amazing. <laughs> like I just walked in and your students were like already standing up and around. Uh -huh. It's great. <laughs> I was like, what is this amazing thing that's happening? <laughs> um, yes, I do love right, it so much. Right after that, I did that thing in my class. But then that was in the spring of 2020. So oh, difficult times. <laughs> yes, that was a hard transition because we were definitely heavily into that. And to, to try and mimic that online was like, I don't, it was impossible. The students didn't have the, the equipment to do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had one student who just explained everything to everybody on Zoom. And mm. so it was kind of weird because I was like, okay, this is not how we were doing class and like basically this other student is teaching the, you know, I have a student teaching the class instead of me now with it. So 
I didn't let that go on for too long. <laughs> Understandably. I'll just sit here while this other person explains calculus. <laughs> so that was awkward. Yes, it needed that. Sometimes that needs to be checked. But for sure, it would it would have worked great if everyone had a tablet and can write mathematics. I think that's one of the hardest things that we so at some point, like once we did the transition, we did try to do the whiteboard on Zoom. And that was a lot of fun because <laughs> everybody's writing was just like, are we in kindergarten here? Like, What's going on with this? Uh, but they did try uh, to do it. And then at some point, even they gave up. They're like, this is too hard. Um, so we had to kind of go back to traditional ways of, you know, basically everyone just doing their own thing. It was kind of sad though, though they did work together on um, like they, we did still stay in our groups. So that was kind of cute. Like they would like all go in their little rooms, their breakout rooms and work together on stuff. Um, but they just did it on pencil paper and just show stuff on screen. And so it was it's still harder, but it was definitely um, yeah. It would have been great with a pad, with a with a tablet or something. Right, if everybody had a, had a tablet, if everyone had this. Can y'all just get tablets now? <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be nice. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, so you mentioned that part of the reason you do active learning is because you can't count on students having time to do their homework. Um, is are there other reasons why you do active learning? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess uh, for me, that's just so the the real impetus for getting them to do this is also the networking that it provides. Um, I feel like building community is an important part of what we do here at the university. Um, you know, students have to have a way to connect. And I feel like um, it's such a natural thing to do that in the classroom. And uh, I, f I feel like even going forward, like students I've had like over the years have just been, you know, friends and that kind of thing for a while and just being supportive and that kind of thing. Um, it, so it did, I, I feel like that sense of community is an important like product. And I wanted to make sure too, that we had the, the ability to do that. And there's just no other way. <laughs> you cannot build community with everyone just doing their own thing. It just doesn't, that's completely the opposite. So, um, and sometimes you just need to help them out. Like, you know, and I feel like creating that environment where it's, where people feel safe to make mistakes and safe to, you know, to share their nerdy side, um, you know? And I, I think that that's an important part of what we can provide. And so that was one of the chief things that kind of draw, drew me in that direction was how do I build community in my classroom? And to me, there's just literally no other way. Um, and then I guess other things that kind of come into play, of course, is the, to me just the plain fact that, that there's no better way to learn. And so, it, you know, trying to learn in a vacuum or doing things on your own is not only just, I mean, you can get far, but it's, 
at what, what's the cost that it, you know, if you're just doing it on your own, like there's so much, it's a, it's a richer experience to learn with others. Um, and so it's not just that you have activities for a student to do, but a group of students. And so you, it's just a richer experience altogether. So, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm not sure. I, Sorry. Go ahead. I'm not sure that really any of us can learn like completely alone. Right. So oh, like, yeah, no. I think if I, if, if taking calculus online had been an option when I was a student, maybe it was, but it wasn't like a thing people did then. I don't think I would have learned calculus. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I don't think yes. I would have been a mathematician <laughs> today. You know, like, Right. Right. Because it's, it's just, hard. Yeah, calculus it's, is hard. <laughs> calculus is hard. The concepts are so like, what is going on here? There's something crazy. I don't, and you need other perspectives to help you get there. Um, you know, some people see things. I mean, everyone sees things from a different point of view and that just helps you really get a more complete picture of what's happening. Um, and yeah, that's one of the things that I hope we we improve upon going forward, especially with the online environment. I know that Sam Houston wants that so badly to be able to provide great online teaching. Um, and it can only go so far if we don't get like support for actually having um, online teaching that has like a schedule to it, you know, where students have to show up. Uh, so, Enough. We need to do that again. <laughs> Sorry, my ear fell off. Um, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Rewind. Um, so, but I, I would love to be able to say, okay, everyone's going to show up from twelve to one thirty or whatever, and um, so that you have a presence online. It's not just everyone for themselves, which is currently what the what the situation is. There's only yeah. the asynchronous way uh, of doing online work. And I find that to be limiting. So if there's a way that we can think of the online classroom as a classroom and schedule it, I think that would be fantastical. Yeah. That sense of community just, it, it, it's, I mean, I, we, we do have at least one colleague, um, who's able to do it, but I, I guess she's better. Emma Bullock is the one I'm talking about. She's, mm. she's just better at it than I am. Mm-hmm. I am not, I have not successfully made any kind of community online. It's just harder because also the number of classes, the class of students we have in our, in our class um, mm-hmm. is you're, you're not going to find one common time for 30 people to meet. It's just not going to yeah. happen. I mean, we all know from trying to schedule things with faculty, like it's like a max of three (laughs) can be in one place at the same time. Yes. Yes. I'm teaching an online uh, class for math, math educators, and we found a time, but it's like at night, right around dinner time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Really? This is the way it has to go. So, but we do need to do better by that. I think that would enrich the experience if we can offer classes like we would in regular person, but online. 
and schedule to where they have to show up, then that would change. That would be a game changer right there. So backing up to your um, face-to-face calculus class, how have your students responded to this um, community building kind of format that you do? Oh, I, I really think it, it's just, uh, so I've been here for, I don't even know now, eight, I'm good, this is my 18th year in Sam Houston. And I've started doing the active classroom, like, like being very, uh, everyone's, during the whole time, people have been experimenting with teaching, you know, teaching methods, having different things going on. Um, and in the beginning, you know, I was, you know, sticking with traditional things so that I can get my foot, you know, foothold on like, you know, the material and what we need to cover and the pace and that kind of thing. So I felt like that was important. But when I started doing more active classrooms, uh, more active learning in the classroom, um, like it just, the feel when you come in and you're just like, everyone is excited to do the work. They're talking about, they're talking about mathematics, but they're also talking about just anything, you know, they, I get them to share, you know, parts about their, their personal lives that they, they enjoy doing, or if they work, where do they work? Uh, that kind of thing to get students to see one another as, you know, a, like more than just, oh, this person in my class. Um, and so I, I feel like over the years, it's definitely, I've seen a lot of more cohesive like groups and excited to learn the, the, I, I, the, the vibe in the classroom is very positive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know, I guess the, the response has been really over, definitely overwhelmingly much more positive than the than the previous years where it was a very like talking head type of style classroom (laughs) (laughs) what do you call that (laughs) lecture style I guess (laughs) lecture based teaching I like the talking head imagery just like I imagine your head floating around For me, that's what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And it's what it probably feels like for a student. Um, Just someone talking at you. That's not nice. It's just not pleasant. If you lecture, do you ever just feel bored by by yourself? (laughs) (laughs) I know that for sure at some point, this has got to be like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted just talking. I can't imagine having to sit there and listen to that. Oh. Um, yes. I sometimes feel bored by myself. Like mm-hmm. it's not that I like people can give good lectures. I have no, you know, people have different styles, but mm-hmm. when I try to lecture, I'm bored and I'm the one talking. So I can't imagine what it's like to listen to me for 75 minutes. <laughs> right, right. I think though that, so that definitely this can, this is something that's a very rich thing to do at the lower levels. I, I often think about how do we do an active graduate class? Like this is, you know what I'm saying? Like those are, that's a little more difficult in my opinion. So, but it's, there's a lot, cause you need much more time than what the classroom hours can provide, you know? Mm-hmm. 
problems are way more challenging and people just need to sit in this, the thinking about stuff for a lot before they can come together and discuss things. So it's definitely going to take, but I, but yes, I imagine, I mean, just teaching graduate classes. So I definitely do have feel like there's much more of a need to do the lecture style because they need to help walking through the material. Um, but yeah, and I definitely get a lot, I'm like, are you all still with me? Because <laughs> it's not pleasant, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, I don't know how, how that's, if people are working on that, that seems like that's a harder, way harder thing to do. Yes, um, I took a graduate class that was active learning Having, art, yeah. having already taken that class at the graduate level when I was an undergraduate. And even then I felt like it was hard. Yeah. And then as a person teaching a graduate class, it's like, I've got 150 years of ground to cover. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't do this slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite a bit of lecturing for, for, but, you know, kind of, I'm sure you do this too in a more interactive way. Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove something. Mm-hmm. How, how should I start? What, what should my assumptions be? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Just getting students to speak up and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That is often difficult in the graduate class, but this semester I've got a really great graduate class and I like sometimes have trouble getting anywhere because they have a lot of, they talk a lot. So it's like, <laughs> wonderful and then sometimes I'm like okay I gotta finish this proof guys (laughs) (laughs) we could go down that rabbit hole but (laughs) yes that that is hard to do just keep everyone on task because that's I feel like that's the main part because they could because they do have excellent questions and you know I'm like we need to table that because that's something that maybe you want to think about at some point but (laughs) yeah it's very exciting. I love the energy in, in those classrooms. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would like to add? Well, I would like to just encourage my colleagues to um, consider, you know, uh, why they do active, what, why active learning, what they see is important, you know, for their students and how active learning um can really, to me, like to me, the, again, the main thing that I feel is, is, is missing as a missing component in what we reflect about in our teaching is that sense of community. And so I, I want to encourage my colleagues to consider thinking about that and how they can use their classrooms to create that sense for their students and I think that would naturally come to active learning as a way of, of doing that. And um, I think it will be incredibly impactful and it'll just change to me the, the, the whole experience of being at the university and, you know, for our students, I think that's like super key. So yeah, encourage them to consider that. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for your time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. You have been listening to the Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dollishaw. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of those who have worked and continue to work behind the scenes on the Engaging Podcast, including Stephanie Brown, Brandon Farron 
Samantha Paget, Legion Lester, Casey Moore, and Benjamin Mr. Yellen. These people have each played an integral part of the Engaging Podcast, and I am thankful to have been a part of a team with them. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.